got saved at the age of 34 years old, been saved now for 20 years, praise the Lord. Uh, and God has done a work in my life. I never dreamed this is what I would get to do, but hey, this is what I get to do. So we'll do, we'll see how we do today. You guys can be the judge if I do okay or not. But I, my goal today is to disappear. My goal is to get out of the way. Um, today's not about us. It's all about him. You'll see it over the doors as you walk out of this church. It's not about me. It's all about him. This life must be about him. That's the reason why we're on this planet. So last week in our message, we were in a, uh, the message was called Safe and Secure. And what we were doing was we were looking at the judgment that God was bringing upon the city of Jericho. And we looked at that from two perspectives. We looked at it from the collective perspective, and we also looked at it from a personal perspective. Collectively, what we saw was the fact that, well, God was wiping out the city. Wiping out the, the individual inhabitants, but also wiping out the city itself. And we saw in that destruction, God was going to use the power of fire. And we track the purpose of what God uses fire for and what it represents. And what we saw in the burning of the city by way of fire was the sorrow of judgment. And what we saw in the fact that as Jericho was going to be judged by fire, we realized and saw that there's two purposes for fire there. One is for destruction, but there's also one, which is a refining fire or a cleansing fire where God's going to do something. And what we saw is the fact that that was, there was an inexplicable link between that fire and that judgment to the judgment that God is going to bring upon this earth based upon fire. God's going to bring judgment against the population of this world that has rebelled against God. We understand that there will be a, a judgment, but understand that this judgment won't be for ultimate destruction. It will actually be for a rebuilding because we know in the Bible it talks about a new heaven and a new earth, but there is still a judgment coming. But for those that are redeemed, God, we look at the next, the next point was the glory of redemption. And we saw that God had preserved. We saw Rahab and her family as a picture of believers. And what we saw in that was the fact that not only did God protect them from the fire, but he drew them unto himself. He drew them into this intimate relationship with them. We referenced them last week as vessels of honor. If you're a child of God today, that's what you are, a vessel of honor. And God values those vessels. Today we're going to talk about how a vessel is to be, is to be used. And understand that, and then we shifted over to the personal perspective. And when we're looking at the personal perspective, what we saw was the fact that there was this, this unique relationship between Joshua and Rahab, where he knew her by name. And what we saw in that personal relationship was really tied us to the intimacy of salvation. And in this review, what I want you to understand is the fact that all that God's doing through the Old Testament is he's creating pictures for us to be able to link to truth so it'll help us to understand it. These are things that actually took place in real history. These were real people. These are real events. You can go to the, to the site of Jericho today and understand. But at the same time, while he's teaching something there, he's also teaching something. This is thousands of years ago. At the same time, teaching into the future. And we saw in that deliverance of Rahab, we saw there was two anonymous men that God used to come and to reach her. Understand, not as deliverers, but conduits. It was not about them. It was about the one that they represented. And what happened was they simply followed what they were told to do. They were directed by Joshua. Joshua is the Hebrew rendering of the name Jesus. It is literally all about Jesus, even back here in this Old Testament book. And what happens is he gave them a command, and they were faithful to do it. And in doing so, they brought her to salvation. And what we found is, that guess what? As believers, that's exactly what God expects of us. There are people that need a des that desperately need a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's sending us as emissaries or ambassadors into the world to reach them and bring them to that beautiful truth. And what we saw here is the fact that with Rahab, there was, a, there was something that happened to her. There was a security of family. And what was so cool about this is we saw an identity change for Rahab. She went from being a, 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 a citizen of Jericho to being an Israelite. She became a part of the family of God, literally the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you go to the book of Matthew, you find Rahab. That's Rahab. 
she literally was a harlot. God saved her, redeemed her, and used her in the line to David, who would be the line to Christ. How incredible. A picture of redemption. And what we saw in the fact that she's listed throughout history is the fact that she had this permanent, eternal response or permanent, eternal location in the family of God. And when you and I receive Christ as our Savior, guess what? We get the exact same thing. When God redeems us, He gives us an identity as part of His family, not temporarily, but for, but forever. Amen. And so today, the, the judgment's done. Okay, the 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 the, the I don't know. I, I want to call it Jerokians. The Jerichean people, whatever you would say. I don't know how you actually, I, I want to call them that. I, I don't know if they would take offense at it, but it is what it is. But anyway, as chapter 6 comes to a close, what we're seeing is this is, this is kind of the, the summation of everything. What happens is now Joshua's going to address the people. And in this address, we're going to see a chilling warning and a message of celebration. The message this morning is titled, Corruption or Glorification. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for today. I thank you, God, for your word. Uh, for the Spirit of God that dwells within us as believers, Lord, that helps us to understand and interpret your word. And God, I do pray that you'll help me to get out of the way. You know, my desire is not to be heard or to be seen. God, if I could disappear somehow, I would. Uh, but Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck here, and i got to do what i got to do. So Lord, help me, uh, Father, to, uh, to be empowered by your Spirit, Lord, that your work uh, might be accomplished and that you might speak to our hearts. Lord, if no one else receives anything, Lord, help me. Have ears to hear. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Joshua chapter 6. We're going to finish out chapter, you can believe it, this is our 43rd message, and we're going to finish Joshua chapter 6. At this rate, in three years, we're going to wrap this baby up. I know it. So, Joshua chapter 6, verses 26 and 27. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city, Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised, throughout all the country. Now, what we've seen over the last few weeks, and I think this is really cool, is we're going to actually look at kind of the messages. I think we're going to look at, let's see, one, two, three, four, five messages. And over the last five messages, what's really neat is God has been sort of directing us through the Christian, the Christian life. And this is really cool. If we look back at Joshua chapter 6, verses 15 through 16, our message that, that day was called the seventh day. In that message, the seventh day, we came face to face with the reality of God's judgment upon humanity. We got to verses 17 and 19, 17 through 19. Then we looked at what that message was titled, Off Limits. And what we saw in Off Limits was the fact that there was God was warning us about the dangerous and destructive impact of sin in the life of believers. Then we got to Joshua chapters 6, verses 20 through 21. That message was titled, Judgment Day. And what we did there was we took an honest, and, 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 uh, an honest look at the burden that should be placed upon our hearts as believers for those who do not know Him. And then what we did was we looked at Heroes Among Us. And Heroes Among Us was chapter, was chapter uh, 6, verses 22 through 23. And here we heard the call for discipleship to go and to not only reach those people, but then to bring them out, taking those that are weak and guiding them into a place of spiritual strength with God. There are lots and lots of people out there that may have a relationship with God, but their walk with God is weak because they've never been discipled. They've never had to come, in, come alongside them and help them. And it's just like having a child. If you don't raise a child, if you, if, you, if you gave birth to a child and you put him in the woods and he was raised by wolves, probably wouldn't have a whole lot of uh, social graces. Probably wouldn't even understand what clothes were, right? He would have a hard time functioning in society. And what happens... I know it's a bad example, sorry. Um, but, <laughs> but what happens is the fact that God wants us to disciple and develop and grow people. That's the whole purpose. That's why we're here. Then we looked last week at safe and secure. And what that pointed to us was eternal security. 
the relationship with God that is established through the Lord Jesus Christ and the gospel message. So this morning, as we consider this, what we're going to look at is the issue and the struggle that's the ongoing battle that rages in the hearts of believers. Those, as we struggle to follow and walk with God, between the influence of God and the influence of the world. This is something that is a reality for all of us. If you walk with God, I can promise you that there is a draw to the world every single day. So we're all dealing with the same struggle. We're going to look at just two points today. Warning of corruption and the glorification of faithfulness. So at this point, understand, Jericho's population as well as the city have been laid waste. We are literally standing at the rubble, the burning and smoking destruction. So what's happened is this is a fulfillment of a promise that God made to Joshua back in chapter 6, verse number 2. Listen to this promise. He said this in Joshua 6, 2. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho. I've given you the city and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. So not only am I giving you the city, but I have given you the people as well. You have got a victory. Then what he went to do is he went out right after that. He told him exactly how he would get the victory. This is what's going to happen, and this is how you're going to do it. You do what I tell you. And because they did exactly what they did, the victory was theirs. And so at this point, Joshua is addressing the Israelites with that warning. Okay? He says this to the, to the people. And Joshua adjured them at that time, saying, Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city, Jericho. Remember, they're standing at the rubble. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his youngest son uh, shall he set up the gates of it. Here, Joshua is giving this stern and sobering warning to the people not to rebuild the city of Jericho. And this is important. What he's simply saying is, look, you know what? If we will, if we, and we understand, we know, we know when we go to the New Testament that Jericho is rebuilt. Right? Jesus actually is ministering just outside of the walls of Jericho. And we're going to get to that in a minute. But before we get that point, I need us to make sure that we grasp the fact that God is teaching us. Now, God teaches at different times and at different levels simultaneously. So what's happening is while he's teaching the Israelites in this moment this important truth, and he's warning them about not rebuilding Jericho, at the very same time, he's also talking to us. And we go, well, how is, when we don't live in Jericho, I don't understand what's going on. It doesn't make sense. Now, in order to figure out what's going on, we have to ever understand a couple different things. First of all, we understand that biblically, Jericho is a picture or a type of the world. Then we also look at the Israelites. The Israelites are a type or a picture of the individual believer. So here we have a struggle. As believers, what are we trying to do? We're trying to get to our promised land. The promised land for believers is the abundant life with Christ. It's not heaven. It's where we walk with God in fellowship with God. We walk in perfect fellowship and in righteousness with Him. That's what we're seeking. That's what we're trying to get to. We came out of, our, out of Egypt, which is where we were in slavery to sin. God set us free. He brought a deliverer through Moses who brought us into the wilderness. The wilderness is where we're... we're it's 40 years, right? 40 is the number of, of testing. So in Scripture, what happens? For 40 years, they go out and they're tested, they're tested, they're tested. They make good choices and bad choices, all with that hope to get to the abundant life, all that hope, and that's what we're doing. So here we are in the midst of our abundant life. We're trying to get there. And what he's simply telling us is, you don't understand this, the fact that you as believers, as we're trying to get to our promised land, we need to be careful that when we're in our promised land, that we not rebuild the things that God destroys. Especially those ones that were strongholds. The ones that had a, had a hold on us. The ones that we were intimidated by. Because God gives the victory and what happens, and I'm telling you this, I've been doing this for long enough that I've met so many people that, man, I'm telling you what, at the, in their life, they dealt with a besetting sin. Something they could not overcome. 
it had a hold on them. And no matter how hard they tried, they could not defeat it. In their will, man, they tried time and time again to just bring victory, only to be dragged under the control of that sin yet again, time after time. And you know why? Because they served that sin. They were in, in slavery to that sin. Jesus said it in John 8, 34. He said, Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. When we submit our hearts and our lives and to, our, to our lusts and our desires, what happens is they take control of us. They take control of us. We're no longer in control. In control, they are. Talk to anyone who ever struggled with addiction in any form. If they had an addiction in any whatever form it is. And when you realize the fact that this person who's struggling, they would do anything to get out of it. But in the moment, they cannot. They have lost control to this besetting sin. Whether it's physical, emotional, or, 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 or mental. They're literally under the control of this thing. It directs their life. It makes their choices for them. And what we find is that people in these situations, they will do anything to fulfill their addiction. It's incredibly destructive. And you know what it does? It makes people feel helpless. It makes people feel hopeless. What? What can I do? And see, the cool thing is, when it's a believer and this is their story, we know that there was a moment when God said, you know what? <clears throat> I got this. Amen. I got this. Fueled by love, God reaches down. And he steps in miraculously and does what this person could never, ever do. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 5. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us, verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, when we were physically, emotionally, spiritually dead, God said, you know what, I'll come to you in your darkest, deepest moment where you feel completely hopeless. And it says next, that the quicken us together with Christ by grace. Are you saved? It's the grace of God. Grace means to give something that's undeserved. That's a love that's not earned. It's a love that's given no matter what, and that's the love of God. And by His grace and mercy, He destroys the power of that sin over that person, and He sets them free. And they praise God, and their testimony is so powerful. And for some people, man, that yields a lifetime of victory. They never struggle with it again. You know why? Because they never forgot how good God was. They never forgot where they came from and the sin that had power over them, and they never forgot and yet this constant reminder of that memory kept them accountable to God. And understanding their weakness and understanding their human frailty, they said, you know what, you know, it, remain, it kept them remained, or it, it made them remain dependent upon God. And it's that dependence that allows victory. Because it's God's power that overcomes it, not ours. But see, for some people, for some people, they become a little overconfident. The victory maybe was a few years ago. And you know what? They hadn't had to struggle with it at all. Hey, it hadn't been a problem. I hadn't even thought about it, man. I never even realized I had that problem. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, I've got victory over it. Don't I? I mean, just a little taste wouldn't hurt. Just a little view wouldn't hurt. Just a little. Just a little. And what, find, what they find out is that their flesh... That besetting sin had a much stronger hold than they thought. And in their flesh, they did not have a victory. It was a spiritual victory because they were dependent upon God. But when they became dependent upon themselves, 
they fell right back into the same addiction that they were miraculously brought out of. And I'm just telling you, I've known people that have been out of it 10 years, 20 years, even 30 years. And all it takes is that sense of pride that I've got this, not God's got this. I've got this. And the next thing you know, they're right back where they started. Because they did not maintain their dependence upon God. They did not lean upon Him. They put their confidence in their flesh. And there's the downfall. Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And you see what's happening here is God's telling us in Joshua chapter 6, verse 26. He's saying, hey, once I've given you the victory in something in your life, don't go rebuild it. Don't go back to the site. Don't even put start stacking one or two stacks of bricks back together. Walk away. Not only for the danger that it, that it possesses for us and the people that we love, but man, how about out of gratitude to God for what He's done for us? How remarkable that we can go back to the same garbage and get involved in that same destruction. Because understand, it's all about destroying us. That's all the devil's trying to do. He's trying to tempt us and draw us away. Can I promise you, if we get involved in it, it will it will bring destruction. Galatians 2, verses 17 and 18 says this, But if while ye seek to be justified by Christ, we're working and growing in God, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. He says, you know what? I put myself right back where I was. God set me free. Stay out. Stay away. Stay clean. God's telling us there are consequences to sin. Galatians 6, 8 again, For he that soweth to his flesh shall. The word shall is a promise word. It's saying it's going to happen. We can fool ourselves and believe that it's not, but I'm promising you it will. It shall of the flesh reap corruption. And so with that perspective at Joshua chapter 6, verse 26, let's look at what took place in history. Now, we remind ourselves of Joshua's warning. Joshua adjured them at that time. Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth this city, this buildeth this city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn, and in his, in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. Some 500 years later, in 1 Kings, chapter number 16, we find a man named Hiel. And Hiel was from a place called Bethel. And what happened was he said, you know what? I'm going to rebuild the city. That is a great location. The water there, I mean, you can imagine the products we can sell there. This is going to be great. 1 Kings 16.34 In his days did Hael the Bethelite build Jericho. He laid the foundation thereof, and Abiram his first, firstborn, and set up the gates thereof, and his youngest son, Segub, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Joshua, the son of Nun. I don't know about you guys, but I hope I never meet anybody named Segub. That is a terrible, <laughs> terrible name. Don't name your children Segub. I cannot imagine first day of school. Segub, you're like, it's me. Anyway, that's not my message. But... <laughs> what this verse does tells us is that it points us to the destructive impact of Joshua's warning. Because what happens with Hiel, he, what he does, he takes this choice to rebuild, and because of his choice to rebuild, he will suffer the loss of his firstborn son, Abiram. And then what will happen after that when they break ground? And then you, what happens when they're finished, when the gates are go up, which is the last thing? Guess what? He also loses Sagub. In essence, what's happening in this thing, he's trading his children for worldly success. Okay? Trading his children for worldly success. And can I tell you that there are so many people in our world, Christians, 
that have sought the things of the world at the expense of their family. Yeah. <laughs> Setting their affections on the things of the earth. And see, God tells us to do the exact opposite. That's not where our affection should be. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. Here's a warning, not on things on the earth. Yet we spend so much of our life pursuing these things, pursuing the recognition of humanity, pursuing material stuff. And I'm just telling you, if we do that, it's going to reap corruption. It's nothing wrong with having nice things. It's nothing wrong with being successful. But if that's where our heart is, it will destroy us. God's trying to reach us. God's instructing us that if we want to have real success, that it has to have an eternal value. That's the whole purpose. If we invest our lives and our time and our energy, and if we don't do it and take the responsibility as Christians to literally model our Heavenly Father to our children, can I tell you that Hael's corruption... His corruption appeared in His children's lives, not in His. And there's a promise in Galatians. He that soweth to the flesh shall reap corruption. It doesn't necessarily mean it's your personal corruption, but it can mean it's in your family. What are we sowing? What are we sowing? And so it happens so many times. The children are the ones that suffer when their parents have got their priorities out of whack. And they're seeking the things of the world. And it's so sad. But see, the same kind of warning that Joshua gives about getting into the world. Because remember, Jericho is a picture of the world. Right. right? Rebuilding the world. It's all about the world's influence. He desired the world. And his children paid the price. And we look at this and we go, wow, you know what? We have the same kind of warning. That Galatians 6.8, For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. It's not saying it might happen. It's saying it is going to happen. God says, this is sowing and reaping. This is how it functions. I set the system. You live within it. And guess what? You want to go your own way? There's going to be a result. And that's the, the harsh reality. What happens, man, if we don't uh, understand that the corruption will, is it, will, will we affect us personally? Yes. But so many times, it is the children that pay the price. And I'm telling you, if we had the gift of hindsight, if we could go back and ask Hael, if you could go back, yeah. would you build the city? And if he was any kind of man, he'd say, no. It wasn't worth it. Right. And for those families that have spent their life chasing after things that were not God. And they taught their kids to do the same thing. And they live with the destruction that's taking place in their families. If you asked them if it was worth it, I'm pretty sure they'd tell you it wasn't. But see, at that point, it's too late. What if we made a difference now? What if we did it for our kids' sake, for God's sake, that he would receive glory? Not only to protect our children, but to direct them to God. That's the point. You see, we're here to establish sons of God. We're here to establish people that love and follow God. It says, but see, there's, there's a, in the it says, but he that soweth through the Spirit shall of the Spirit life leap, leap, reap life everlasting. There's an eternal blessing. Right after the curse, there's a blessing. See, that's the cool thing about this. We're going to look at today that aspect of corruption, but guess what? We're all going to look at the glorification right, of faithfulness. And what's interesting is we look at this. Understand, this investment, 
It's not for the eternal. We must invest not, not for the temporal, but for the eternal. And listen to King David. As King David is writing to his son Solomon, and he's talking about this very subject. Listen to this in Psalm 127, verses 1 through 5. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Right? If it's not done by God, it's a waste of time. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to sit up late. It's vain for you. Hey, you get up early and go to work. You do all that you do. You're busting your hump to eat the bread of sorrow, for he giveth his beloved sleep. He says, look, you know what? God says, hey, you know what? If you'll do it my way, I'll let you even have rest. You don't have to work yourself to death. I'll provide for you. You want to have a career that's successful? You do it to honor and glorify God so that he'll get credit? I'll bust. I mean, we'll, we'll make this thing happen. But what happens? We put God in the back seat and we go, you know what? It's all about me. I want to be, I want to have a reputation at work. I want people to know who I am. And that's not what this thing is all about. Understand, if we, if we, if we try to do things and we want to have real success, divorced of God, we will not because it will have no eternal value. Amen. And in the end, when we stand before the Lord, it is not going to matter. The car you drove, the house you had, how much money you had to make, it will be completely irrelevant because that will all burn up, remember, with a fervent heat. Right. And all those ashes blowing away. And you stand before the God empty-handed. And the souls of men and women slipped into hell because you were so concerned about yourself. Man, I'm not pointing fingers. I got plenty of, I got blood on my hands, I'm telling you. There's been plenty of folks in my life that I should have witnessed to that I did not. There were people that I should have lived an example for in my own home and I didn't. But listen, we can't change the past. Yeah. All I can do is change the future. Today, listen to what he says next. Verse 3, Lo, children, are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is His reward, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man. So we're children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall, see, they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. To investing in our children, we can create formidable opponents to the enemy. Yeah. Investing in them. And what we see is they're, they're standing at the gate, right? The gate's where the attack would come. They stand and face the opposition, and they do it unashamedly, because they're not ashamed. Romans 10, 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Listen, Hael, the Bethelite, he chose Jericho over his children, and the results speak for themselves. His life story is a cautionary tale of the wrong priorities. The wrong priorities, he said, his affections on the world, Jericho, instead of honoring God. And as I said, if we asked him if he would change it, I guarantee you he would. He would change his priorities. And listen, if you're a parent today, where, where are your priorities? Are you seeking the world? Do you want the recognition of man? Do you want people to, to, uh, to, to look at you and think how amazing you are? Or, what, or, do you, or do you consider your responsibility and say, you know what, I want to live a godly example? for my kids. I want them to see Christ in me, not only so that he receives glory, but so that their life, their life can mean something. So when they stand before the Lord, they won't stand ashamed. They'll stand before him and say, thank God I had godly parents. They gave me a good example. That's why he gave them to us. Proverbs 22, 6 says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Hey, it doesn't say they'll never depart from it. Will you, will you pour into your kids when they're little? And is it possible they go off course? Oh, yeah, there's a good chance of that. But you know what's cool? And when he is old, he will not depart from it. 
give them a foundation where they know they can go, where they can find firm ground. And when the world eats them up and spits them out and they don't know where to go, they go, oh, 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 oh I got to go back. I know where my foundation is. I didn't have that as a kid, but I gave it to my children. The reason God left us here after salvation, man, is so that we can establish and develop spiritual sons of God physically in our physical family, yes, but also spiritually. There's people, you may not have kids yourself, but you're going to have people that you'll get to invest in. And that's the whole thing. God's saying, hey, teach them so that they can do the same thing for somebody else. Because remember, it's got an eternal value. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And if we do this, oh man, y'all are killing me. I'm killing myself. I don't know what's going on. If we'll do this, the next point will be true for us. Glorification of faithfulness. Verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Joshua becomes a household name in Canaan. He's on T-shirts. He's on cereal boxes. He's on billboards. He's popping up watching YouTube videos. Like, ah, oh, there's Joshua again. Man, he's everywhere. He becomes a Old Testament, uh, what do you call him, uh, social media influencer. He's everywhere. And every, all around the city, his name is on people's tongues. Joshua, 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 Joshua. It's like, wow. We listen and go, man. That's amazing. But what happens, interestingly enough, if we go back and we remember when Rahab first met the two spies, I want you to listen to how she talks about the fame, okay? Listen to this, Joshua 2, verses 9 through 11. And she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. When he came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites, they were on the other side, Jordan, Shahon, Shon, and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we had heard these things, our hearts did melt, did there, and there did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is a God of, in heaven, above, and earth beneath. So we see here that the, the fame, the buzz about town in Canaan is all about the Israelites. It's about God's hand upon the Israelites. But what we see now after Jericho, there's a shift. So the Lord, verse 27, so the Lord was with Joshua and his fame was noised throughout all the country. So their strength and trust in God had taken them from a collective identity. Interesting enough, the Israelites' faithfulness has now brought them to a a collective identity. Because no longer do they look like themselves, they look like the one they follow. See, there's a picture there, right? No longer recognized as a force, but the one they faithfully follow, Joshua. And it's this simple truth. See, this is something that's key for all of us. This is so important. See, we see the mission of every child of God, that the world would not see us, but the one we follow, right? If it's about us, remember, it's not about me. It's all about him. It's about his fame, not ours. John the Baptist said this, and I love what he said, because I'm telling you what, this is one of those ones to keep in your heart every day. Speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, he said this, he must increase, but I must decrease. You know what? I was kind of a big deal for a little while, but it's now time for me to step into the shadows as he steps into the light. When you first get saved, it's going to be about you. People see your life. Man, what'd you do? What's going on with you, man? Uh, and we could say, man, you know what? I got my life turned around. Redirected myself. 
self-help books, things like that. Yeah, I went to church and stuff like that, but you know, I pretty much, I'm incredible. <laughs> I don't know if you met me. I got some t-shirts in the back. But what happens in the beginning that they start like that. But see, if we're right with God, what we say is, you know what, hey, what you see today, it's not because of me. God did a work that I can't explain. I had no power to do it, man. I was defeated. I was overcome. I was completely wasted. But God stepped in. And he did the most miraculous thing. You know what? Today, I stand before you in victory, not because I'm anything special, but because God's amazing. And guess who gets the glory? See, that's the key. Every believer fights the same battle. We all fight the same thing, which is our flesh and our pride wanting to get recognition. It wants to be important. We all love a pat on the back. And I'm telling you, our flesh, our flesh burns for it. It wants recognition so bad. But what we have to do is set our hearts and our minds upon giving God glory and realizing the fact that that's a, that's a, that's a, that's, that will draw us off course. John says, he must increase and I must decrease. You must see me less and see him more. This is not about who I am. And when we recognize this, man, we have to recognize the fact that when people at one point in time in our lives used to say, man, you know, we had a talent or ability or skill, and they would, they would, they would commend us for what God had done or what, or what we had. You're so this, you're so that, you're so this. And you know what our flesh loves to do? Well, thank you. You're kind of right. It loves it. It loves it. But as we mature in our faith and we follow God, we defer the attention from ourselves. And we put on the Lord. Because every gift, every good gift and every perfect gift, it's from above, right? So no matter what the talent or gift, if it's musical, physical, financial, intellectual, whatever it is, it came from God. God provided every good gift and every perfect gift. It's from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning, James 1.17. And then the only reason that we can actually use those gifts is by the grace of God. He provides them for us, and then He allows us to use them. And just as easily as he gave them to us, guess what? He can take them away. Yeah. What did Job say in 121? He says this, and said, he said, Naked came I into my mother's, from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The, uh, the, return. the Lord gave it, the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It all comes from him. If he gives it, he can take it. Yes. And if we're mindful of that, if we're mindful of that truth, and we understand that, hey, God's shown favor on me. He's blessed me with what I have. And we remind ourselves of what's going on. It allows us to serve our mighty God with humility. That's key. If we humble ourselves, God will lift us up. If we exalt ourselves, the Bible says he will abase us. That means put you on your face. What's it, what does it say in Hebrews or in, in Proverbs? Uh, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the, before the fall. So here we are. We're looking at this and we go, man, listen to Paul's heart. Paul's thinking about this very thing, his service to God. And listen to how he says it in Galatians 2.20. I love this verse. He says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There is no pride in Paul's words. Paul is humble, humbly proclaiming that he says, you know, I want God to use my life. That's the whole thing. That's why I'm on earth. I realize why I'm here. He wanted his life to be about God receiving glory, not him. He wanted the Lord Jesus Christ to be seen and not himself. And because of that, 
Guess what that God did with Paul? He sounded the name of Jesus Christ around the known world because Joshua's heart was not to receive glory for himself, but glory unto God. I mean, no internet, no phone service, no mail, no nothing. A man with his heart sold out to God who didn't want recognition for himself, who wanted God to be seen, and he changed the world. He wanted recognition for his Savior and his Savior alone. He denied his flesh. He was committed to the Lord. And he wanted God, everything to be directed towards God receiving glory. And it was the key was he wanted to be an ambassador for Christ. When an ambassador goes, if I was the ambassador for the United States and I went and signed a deal with China, it wouldn't say that China signed a deal with David Goodson. Would it? No, it'd say China signed a deal, deal with the United States. The United States, we're only representatives. The Bible calls us ambassadors. We spend our time on earth not about building ourselves up, but about building up Him. And we understand, man, if we don't do this, when we spend time around people, one of the things we have to ask ourselves is this. When I meet someone and we interact, who do they learn about? What I mean is this. Does the conversation of our life speak of us or does the conversation of our life speak of Christ? See, we interact with people every day. Every interaction has a purpose. God works all things together for good for those that love God that are called according to his purpose. And we'll meet people that we'll never meet again. And we let it pass through and we tell them all about us. But they never hear about him. What a travesty. Listen, I want us to know that this verse, not, I'm, the verse I'm about to use, I know I say it all the time. It's my life verse, so y'all just have to get over it. As long as you know me, you're going to hear this verse. Uh, Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Listen to me. Let me read it again. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. They don't see you. They see him. So your works are attributed to the Lord, not to you. And our flesh goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, hey, I was here too. You did see me, right? The more humble we can be, the more God can use our lives. This is direly important. People can recognize God in us. As we've been talking about on Wednesday nights, I've been talking about what it means to be a true Christian. Christian means to be Christ-like. We first see the word Christian in Acts 11.26. And it says they were first called Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. They were called Christians. It was a name that they earned because of what they looked like. When people saw them, they did not see them. They saw Christ in them. Christian means to be Christ-like. To be saved means you're not going to hell. But to be Christian means that you look like Jesus Christ. You respond the way He responds. We speak with love. We understand who people are. And we, and we love them through it. We display grace and love and kindness. Remember what Paul said. In Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Because listen, he wants people to see Christ in him. But Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 4.13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Perfect in the Bible means, means a mature. So a mature Christian, right? What do they look like? Unto the measure of the stature of of the fullness of Christ. They look like a physical manifestation of the Lord Jesus Christ. His love, 
his kindness, his grace, his, 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 uh, his patience, his long-suffering, all those things that we read, those things show up in us. The whole point is that we would look like him, that we would look like him, and if we'll faithfully live our lives getting God glory instead of ourselves, listen, he'll be seen. And that's what we see in Jericho. That's what we see here in this, in this verse. What he's saying is, hey, you know what? It's all about Joshua. The Israelites were faithful. They did their job. But understand, they denied themselves. Instead of being like Hael and seeking after the Lord and wanting recognition, they didn't want recognition. You saw the two men that did the most work, that risked themselves more than anybody else. They're not named. They're just simply nameless people. And we see here this picture for us that our Savior, man, when we serve and live our lives for His glory, we fulfill what it is God's doing in our lives. He's doing it for a purpose to let, his, to let Jesus' name be, be spoken. So that when we live this life and we make the choice that we do, that we are truly a Christian and that Jesus gets, uh, gets recognition through our lives. So we've seen in this verse, verses, the warning of corruption and the glorification of faithfulness. Listen, for those who will seek their fleshly desires, those that will sow into their, their flesh, there will be corruption. Some way, somehow, there will be corruption. But see, for, for those who will faithfully serve the Lord and they commit themselves to Him receiving glory in their life, and they deny themselves, and they live selflessly. For them, there's an eternal blessing in our lives. But guess what? In lives that we touch. This is so important for us in our Christian walk. As time grows short and as judgment gets closer, the people outside of this room, the people in our families that don't know Christ, they need to see Jesus in us more so than ever before. His love Galatians 6, verse 8. I'm almost done. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. Listen, the promise has been given, right? The principle has been established. This is key. And the way we choose to live will determine whether our lives for Christ will result in corruption or glorification. It's up to us. We get to choose. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you, God, for your word, for the power of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to my heart if no one else. And uh, with our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, if you're here today, you can say, you know, Pastor, right now I'm, uh, I'm in a bit of a fight. I need prayer right now because I want to do right. I really do. But I'm going to fight right now. Maybe emotional, maybe physical, spiritual, whatever it is. Pastor, pray for me that I'll have the strength, the trust in God to overcome this. If that's you, just lift your hand. I'm not going to call anybody out. I just want to know if I need to pray for you. Amen. I see that hand. Say, look, pray for me. Amen. I see that hand. Anybody else? Listen, I'm struggling right now and I need prayer. Lift that hand real quick. Amen. 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 And for those today that say, you know what, I don't, I don't even know where I stand with God. 20 years ago, I did not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I knew nothing about God. But thank the Lord, he had the grace and mercy to come to where I was. And if you're here today, you're watching this online, you're watching this recorded. If you today look in your own heart and you say, you know what, I may be religious. I might even have knowledge of God. 
but I can't tell you that I have a personal relationship with him where I know his spirit is speaking to me every single day. I'm walking with God and I feel his work in my life. I don't have that personal relationship with him. I'm seeking the peace of God. If that's where you are, understand it's not a magic prayer. There's no ceremony involved. This is a matter of a broken heart coming to a God who loves them. And I can promise you that he loves you right where you are. And as he died on that cross with love in his eyes, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. As he looked out at those people, he was speaking into the future to us. And if you're here today and you say, I don't know where I stand. The good news is he's ready to reconcile you right now. The death on the cross paid the price. All you have to do is receive the gift. At this time of year, we exchange gifts in memory of the gift, Jesus Christ. And today he's offering his gift of salvation to you. If you've never received it, you have a chance today to do just that. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray, to receive Christ as your Savior. Again, it's not the words of the prayer, but it's the heart behind them. If you want to receive Christ in your heart and mind, call out to God. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I look in my own heart and I realize that I need you. In the best way I know how, I come before you today, brokenhearted and hopeful because you are willing to save me. Right now, I'm asking you to come into my heart, to forgive me of my sins and save my soul. Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for being faithful when I was not. Thank you for the power of the word of God. Lord, I pray that you'll bless me, guide me, and use me for your glory for the time I have left on this earth. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. Amen. Head still bowed. I still.